Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. We're going to play a game of chicken to see who speaks first. <laughs> well, you always do the intro, so I was going to let you do your welcome you to Between it. Two Chairs. I, I am Fernando and Encibia Jr. And as yeah. always, I am accompanied yes, by my right. spunky. I love it. I love it. I'll use spunky. I love it. <laughs> no, don't use spunky. Okay. No. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Between Two Chairs. Uh, my name is Fernando Arencibia Jr., and with me, as always, because uh, we are contractually obligated, is uh, Jennifer Woman. <laughs> Jennifer, how's that for Spunky? That was Spunky. <laughs> contractually obligated, actually, that sounds, oh, I don't know. We won't go there. <laughs> So good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, since we released this at 3.05. I just lose track of time. Today, we're going to talk about CAM factors, the common area maintenance factors. We brought it up in an episode or two ago and thought it would make an interesting topic for a future episode based on what's going on, especially with office space. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about common areas, how they're defined by and measured by BOMA. Then we're going to talk about what kind of spaces are attributed to common areas, the difference between rentable and usable square footage, and why both are important to a prospective tenant and user. And then maybe talk about a couple of examples. So Fernando, if you want, do you want to go into BOMA and kind of defining the shared space and yeah sure you know you often get a lot of questions about cam especially from people that are leasing a commercial space for the first time because the subtitle of this podcast is demystifying commercial real estate some of this might seem very basic but uh, i think it's good to break things down to its most basic level so a lot of people use this term of CAM, and what it is is common area maintenance. And it's very self-defining in a way, right? It is the cost of maintaining the common areas in a property, in a commercial property. And so the reason why we say CAM factor is because what CAM does is that it factors the cost of maintaining all of the common spaces. So in an office building that has amenities, for example, it's the lobby, it's the elevator, it's the ingress and, e and egress out, the parking lot, it is the gyms, if they have gym, if they have any, any other amenities, that is all part of a common area, 
right? And so they factor the cost and that cost is divided among all of the tenants in the building. And in order to do that, you first need to determine, well, what is the size of every space that each tenant is occupying in the building? And, and this is where BOMA comes in, right? Because you need to have a method. BOMA? Sure. Demystifying. Of course, yeah, no, and, and I will. Okay. I'm gonna explain to you what, what BOMA. BOMA stands for Building Owners and Managers Association. And the BOMA guidelines is what is generally accepted as the standard method for measuring the floor area in office buildings, right? And um, the reason why people do that is because it's coming to a consensus of how are we gonna measure out the space that is going to be occupied. And one of the things that you mentioned at the start of this is the difference between usable space and rentable space. And so, for example, if you follow BOMA guidelines, the way that they measure space inside of an office is they measure from the inside surface of the exterior building wall and the office side of the walls of what they call major penetrations, right? So when they're measuring the space, that will give you a perspective of how detailed, right, the BOMA guidelines are. They are detailed to the point of how they measure the space. Now, unlike usable space, usable space is basically you walk into your office, this is where you put your desk, this is where you're going to conduct your business. Usable space is different than rentable space because the rentable space is also gonna include the restrooms the electrical and mechanical rooms. They're going to include the janitorial rooms, the elevator lobbies. The hallways. Right, the hallways, all the public corridors, right? And when an office is marketing a space, what they're quoting is they're quoting rentable space, not usable space, right? And I'll tell you uh, just a, a brief story. I had um, a client looking for their first office many years ago and there was a hang up in his mind about the way that they were measuring the space. I said, well, but if the space is 500 square feet, then why is it, you know, 607 square feet rentable or, you know, whatever it is. And, and I explained to him, I said, imagine that you have a box, a cube that is 500 square feet and you're standing in front of a nine story, you know, building. And now this box is gonna be on the fifth floor of that building, right? You, you're right, the place that you're gonna use, hence the term usable space, is the box. The, the box. But in order to get to the box, you need to have a place to park. <laughs> you need to be able to walk through the lobby. You need to be able to have stairs if you're gonna go walk up the five stories or the elevator to go up, right? You need to have the corridors, right? You need to have restrooms, you need to have lighting, you need to have, and so all of that is part of the measurement and all of that is encompassing what we know as common area and hence the common area maintenance factor. You know, makes right. sense? Yeah. Completely. And it's funny because recently, well, last year we had, we actually were representing an office building and they had a pretty good load factor. It wasn't huge. It wasn't a highly amenitized building. They basically had parking, a lobby, elevators and common area bathrooms. So it wasn't that big, but a tenant came in with his rep and saw some floor plans and saw the measurement of the office space. And the office space was 4,000 square feet, but that was usable. 
Right. And he was obsessing, and he didn't want to pay on the rentable. So right. they actually prepared an LOI and said, no, no, we're only paying on the usable. <laughs> so obviously that one didn't go anywhere, no matter how much we tried to explain to him that, right. you know, he yeah. couldn't just, like, appear in his office space without parking, walking <laughs> To the, right. you know, through the lobby and using the elevators. So even the the closet when you have your air handler inside of the right. unit, that's part of that rentable square footage. And I'm always worried about when people show up with a measuring uh, with tape measure. and and they start measuring this. But space. that's actually important, right? Because yeah. really, the only thing a tenant cares about, other than cost, is will they be able to fit what they need to fit into their True. space in there? And yeah. so if they're looking for sixteen hundred or 2,000, excuse me, usable square feet, right. and it's 2,000 rentable square feet, and usable is 1,600, and I'm using right. those numbers because I had sure. this recently, and I'm going to talk about an example yeah. later, but that makes a difference because that's 400 square feet that yeah. they're counting on that they actually can't physically use, and so the space might not work for them, right? Yeah. So that's why that's why it's so important. So can can I ask you about something that it's a metric I don't really use very often. I'm assuming that uh, people that specialize only in office, you know, look at this ratio. But Boma talks about this ratio between rentable square feet and usable square feet and basically you 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 calculate it by dividing the both and it gives you a ratio so you get a number like 1.03 or 1.17 yeah and the higher the number means that the more rentable square feet is lost to common and service areas. Correct. That's that's the actual load factor. So you take the rentable square footage, you divide it by the usable, and I'm going to use that in my example going down the road. And maybe I'll just get into it now. So I was showing an office condo in Aventura, and it's it's a new building in a newly developed, I guess it's maybe five years old max Uh area. And so there's an HOA for the overall area. There's medical office, there's hotels, there's retail, there's a 55 plus community. It's an awesome development, but it has an HOA and it has a condo fee for each individual building. That's a separate discussion and that's a separate charge, right? But here I was showing a 1600 square foot office and it was for an owner user and they needed 1500 minimum so 1600 usable square feet it was 2000 rentable so obviously 400 square feet of the overall space was being allocated to the building's common air common areas when you divided that those two numbers it resulted in a load factor of one point like two five, I think it was like one and a quarter, which was pretty low. That means that only 11 and a quarter percent of that was being attributed to the common area. And that kind of goes into the air. This was a class A supposed building because it was newer, had clean spaces, completely updated, but it didn't have any amenities within the building because we've talked about this before. You can either have amenities in the building or you can have the neighborhood as the amenities. amenities. 
And this one had the neighborhood as the amenity, including the Graziano's, which I have to give you that shout out because I, whenever I see Graziano's, I think of you and their yummy empanadas. So anyway, so that was there and I was trying to let them know that it was, you know, it was a good use of space and, and everything else because you usually want to be to have an efficient building you want to be between 10 and 15 percent now if you're ken griffith and you and you have you know major offices and you want it to look impressive your class a office is probably going to have a load factor of maybe 25 right 25 percent so anyway it goes up as you have more amenities and that's something that came up in the podcast in the episode that we had talked about before which was basically that as a lot of offices newer offices are being built with areas for you to drop off and pick up your dry cleaning or to have uber eats deliveries so you have food lockers down in the lobby as well as your concierge and reception desk. And you start adding in those amenities in addition to a gym and maybe a communal conference or workspace that's part of the building, not part of an individual office. Those factors are going to go up. And it might be something, yes, that's attractive to tenants, but that's basically something that you're paying for, that if they're not in the office all the time and it's not being used, you need to balance that between the actual space you need is that, is to that use. In, in your experience, when uh, someone is buying a, an office building, how much weight do they put into the load factor? So when they're buying, not not as much. It's more the usable versus right. the rentable, because especially if they're buying it as an investor. Mm-hmm. And because then th- what they're taking into their calculation is what can they get for a rent? Right. And how does that load factor if it's totally out of whack with everything else in the neighborhood and it's not a super prestigious building, then they would probably take it into consideration. But from an owner user standpoint, like in this case, it it wasn't that big of a deal to the to the owner user because she was all about how much space she physically needed to use. And then if she wasn't going to use it, she felt like it would be easy to rent out. Yeah. But it makes a big difference to a tenant because that's, you know, rent is such a huge part of their of their cost. We're currently in a building that has this big open area. It's kind of a weird design. There seems to be a lot of wasted space on on the mezzanine. And And I wonder if that's part of the consideration as well of whether the space as it was designed and built was maximized for the right combination of amenities, right? Not taking into account location, but just amenities within the building and the ability to really maximize the space that is already built out to have a higher amount of of rentable square footage. I I remember showing an office building to a client of mine and the office building had um, that thing like the the hotel in front of SeaWorld that we often go, yep. we would go, you know, it has that open that space. Marriott. Yeah, the atrium right. hotels, which atrium were so popular back in the 80s right. to build these atrium And hotels. this office yeah. building had that atrium, you know, design. He just couldn't get over the waste of The waste space. of space. Right. Yeah. He just couldn't get over the fact that, you know, it, it, it's not only the waste of space, as beautiful as it looks, it's also... You know, it's a bed impractical, right? Because you can only put the elevators in so many locations. 
people have to walk long distances to get in and out of their spaces often. And so, you know, that, that was an interesting dynamic. Well, and in Florida, those atrium spaces, you're spending a lot of money to cool yeah. those, those spaces, right? Even if it's a super energy efficient building, if it's got glass at the top, which is the whole purpose of the atrium is to let the sunlight in, you're, you're spending a lot of money or the building is. So it's super interesting to see how sometimes what is beautiful architecture and sounds amazing in theory because yeah. who doesn't want a ton of natural light when they're walking in mm -hmm. to an office building and seeing a bright, you know, yeah. space. But then the practical side of that is you've got to cool it and you can't rent it. And so what kind of a premium do you have to put on your rents in order to cover those costs? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what is included in common area maintenance, because, you know, I've, I've seen some some people when they get so a landlord will, you know, um, basically give you a an audit of what are common area man maintenance costs and based on the pro rata share which is basically it's it's a portion of the whole right so if you if you occupy you know five percent of the total leasable square footage of uh, you know gross leasable area of the building then you know you're going to pay four percent of, of the cost right and so when they break it down i've had some people who are who would question okay is this really common area maintenance fees or not and so for example repair and maintenance of parking lots trash removal janitorial and pest control services, security, landscaping, signage, common area utilities, right. common area uh, HVAC maintenance. Elevator repair, Elevator maintenance, repair maintenance, lighting in the stairwells, right? Correct. Fire compliance, all that Correct. kind of stuff. Now, there are some that will charge like a landlord's administrative fee, and then sometimes that becomes a point of contention right. because you know, people feel like I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay paying the cost of maintaining the building. I don't necessarily want to pay the landlord's cost in order to do all this legwork. You know, honestly, how much time could he be investing in sending out a check for the light or? Well, and I like think that. that that's a good point, especially as everybody seems to have moved kind of across the board to triple net leases. So I was doing a lease on an awesome retail space in Wynwood and it was what I would call a triple absolute triple net lease because they put in everything they put in the cost of their accountant their cost of wow. their legal fees their cost of light bulb like they put in their cost of right. them running their business and 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 that was a huge point of contention and eventually even though a lot of the deals were favorable it was just kind of like wait a minute i'm paying for your entire business, business. Right. right and yeah. and how do i know how much of your attor your attorney is spending right. on managing my building versus your other investments versus if you get into legal it like it was so bizarre i, right. I that was one that i had never seen and i thought it yeah. was extremely far-reaching but and I, and it brings a very important point which is that if you want to be a if you're going to be a, in order for you to be a, a happy tenant mm -hmm. right especially when it comes to cam whether a fee or is 
technically a maintenance you know cost to the building you know all of that is negotiated in the lease right. and you have to have that clarity and you have to negotiate that lease well to make sure that there is clarity of a hey, what is it that is included in cam and what is it that you're going to charge me and that is the moment to negotiate the moment to negotiate is not when once you, you have bill. been there for a year <laughs> right and you get your bill because most likely you have agreed to pay those things in right. your lease and so you know that that's that's a very important factor you know especially as you say in a triple net lease not only are you paying the common area maintenance fees but you're also going to pay the insurance uh, your your pro rata share of insurance and taxes for the building right and i'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because yeah. i did want to point out that cam does not include property taxes and insurance right. so if somebody just tells you what the cam fees are right. and it's a triple net yeah. You need to ask, what are the triple nets, right? Correct. So that they can break it down by cam but, insurance and right. But you know, in, in practical, in a practical sense, right? When brokers speak to each other about this, you right. know, they just say, yeah, cam is here's here's the here's the amount, sixteen dollars a square foot, eight dollars a square foot, whatever it is that you're going to pay for that. And and you know, they include. You're right. You have to clarify. But just us talking to each other when we call to find out the information, you know, right. yeah, here here are, and that's why. And a lot of times we use the term pass-throughs, right? right? These are the pass-throughs. Pass Basically, exactly. these are the expenses that we're passing through to the tenant, and here's the total amount. And that way, you know, you have a little bit more of that clarity. A question has come up about capital improvements to the building, right? Because so you're you own an office building, you're a landlord, and all of your leases are triple net, meaning that all of that cost of maintaining is covered. Now there is the question of if you're going to make a capital improvement to the building, is that part of common area maintenance? Another point of contention. Right. Is it maintenance or is it repair? Is it so the way that I look at it, too, is is it maintenance or right. is it replacement? Right. Right. And yeah. that and it does. Some of the leases do say it includes like putting on a new roof or putting in a yeah. new HVAC system, which can be outrageously expensive. Correct. And if you're a tenant and you don't own the building, why should you be paying for a new roof? Right. right? So those are definitely things to look out for. If you're if you're if you own the space, yeah. I can see you getting charged right. a percentage for the roof if it's an office condo. Right. Yeah. But if you're a tenant, that, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> should not be passed on to the well, tenant. Here, here's the landlord argument. The landlord right. argument is that, let's say it's an older building, it's an older HVAC system, we're going to need to put a new HVAC system. The landlord will say, I can keep repairing this forever, right, and charge you every time that I repair it. But if we install a brand new system, that it's going to be more efficient, costs are going to come down, so inevitably it's going to positively affect your cam, right? The same thing with the roof, right? And that and that's that's the reason why you know that that that's an argument. It doesn't mean that it is acceptable argument right. to everybody, but that's the argument. Now, what I have heard tenants say is, okay, but 
we don't charge me, you gotta prorate this, right? If the life of that roof is 10 years or 15 years or whatever it is, you know, don't charge me for my percentage for 100% of that cost in one year. Amortize, Amortize it, it, right? Exactly. And so exactly. that sometimes becomes part of, that's why sometimes when you see those commercial leases, they're very long and, and this is one area, I think is a great opportunity to say, we get a lot of questions about, is there a standard lease for commercial? And this is exactly why there is no standard, right? Because buildings are, are, are not the same. The priorities of the landlords are not the same. And so, you know, and the tenants as well, everything is a negotiation. That's why it's, it's imperative for people to understand. That's why you have attorneys that are right. developing these commercial leases, because once you commit, right, you're on the hook. And that, that goes both ways. That's for the landlord as well as, as for the tenants. I agree. And so the issue going back to the lease and amortization yeah. of capital improvements, mm -hmm. in that case, it makes sense. And, it, and it's hard for tenants to wrap their head around this, especially if they have been tenants in a residential property, right? Mm -hmm. Because in right. a residential property, yeah. you don't pay for capital repair. You know, you don't pay when the owner replaces a roof. Yeah. You don't pay when the owner replaces an HVAC. That's already, you know, you just pay for a certain, yeah. you don't even pay for maintenance after a certain amount. Right. Exactly. But then when you get into a commercial lease and they do have to pay for that, even if it's amortized, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around. Correct. And does the capital improvement in any way mm -hmm. offset some of their maintenance. So in theory, in your HVAC example, if I'm putting in a more efficient HVAC system for the entire building, not for my space, right. then technically the heating and electric bills should come down, right? Right. Yeah. In theory. So then, the, you know, those are things that all need to be taken Correct. into account. But, but it won't balance out unless no. you amortize it. Exactly. If you amortize it, then it does balance out. Also because they feel like, you know, and, and this is an argument that I've made many times when people ask, you know, I've, I've sold residential properties and, and people will say, well, the roof is at the end of its life, right? And I'm going to need to install a new roof. So now they want credit for the new roof, right? You know what I say? Well, once we install a new roof, right, that new roof has a new life. The value of the property is higher, right? Why you're asking the seller to pay for something that the, that he's not gonna, he or she is not gonna be able to, are not gonna be able to enjoy the value added to the property by installing a new roof, right? Mm -hmm. But you, the buyer, are going to be able to, once you install a new roof, gonna be able to actually enjoy the value that has been added and the fact that you're gonna have that lifetime, uh, that lifespan of the of the new roof. And so, you know, that's when you kind of come to terms and say, you know, the seller might be willing to do some of it, but the seller's right. not gonna be able to, it's not, it wouldn't make sense for the seller to say right. that because- if you're, if, if you're a tenant, uh, uh, like my art, my argument right. as a tenant is, look, you own the building. Right. It's in your best interest to maintain right. the building and to keep it top yeah. shape. One, because you're going to get higher rents, two, to increase the value of the building. But you're also probably going to get some sort of tax deduction or depreciation for the improvements you make. Right. So why should I be paying right. for all of those benefits? Right. 
that are going to offset it when I'm paying rent already, which is already helping you with the value of your building. So right. again, but everything that, is open. Where, that's where amortization comes right. in because what, what the tenant is thinking, well, if it's a 10 year lifespan of that roof, and I'm only here for five more years. Why am I paying for the entire roof? Correct. You know, the, Correct. my pro rata share of the entire roof. So, Correct. yeah, no, absolutely. It's, 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 again, imperative that you look at the fine print on that lease and make sure that you have clarity among all of those terms. So there are different ways of doing CAM. One of them is something called, uh, you know, fixed CAM charges. And this usually happens when you have a, a landlord that has a track record of managing the property for many, many years and really has a clear understanding of where the rates, are, you know, where his costs are to maintain the building. And fixed meaning that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna charge you a 4%, you know, if you, if you occupy 4% of the building, I'm not gonna charge you that pro rata share of all of my costs, regardless of how they go up or down. I'm just gonna say, here's the fixed cam that I'm gonna charge across the board per square foot. And what the tenant likes in that sense is that there are no surprises. You know that that's gonna be the fixed cam rate. They might be paying more than they would if they would do it the way that, that is mostly done, but they know that they can at least know that when they're doing their numbers for their business, they have uh, that level of predictability, right? We don't see a lot of those, right? Because you, you have to kind of have a, a really good hand on, handle. Seen. Yeah. Years ago, I saw it in a, on a little shopping center that had been around since the 70s. Gentleman had owned it since the place was, you know, five years after the place was built. He had owned it for 20 years, had his cost down. How here is the downside to the tenant that things fall into disrepair, mm -hmm. right? They're not maintained as well mm -hmm. because now the landlord has a fixed budget right. and they're gonna work within that budget. So right. this place never really gets maintained. Right, well. if the landscaping dies, they're, the not landscaping gonna, dies, they're not gonna- They're not like calling, hey, bring me another right. you know, royal palm. Right. Uh, you know, that's not gonna happen. I wanted to also share with you another approach, which one of my clients took, um, you know, a few years back. We were setting a pretty, a pretty high base rent. It was a, a gross lease, you know, modified gross lease. And can you sure. explain so, modified gross yeah, lease? Yeah, so your base rent is your is your total rent plus sales tax. At the state of Florida, we, we still have a business rent tax, which is about to go down. That's and that's one for another day. But you're not charging, you're not doing pass-throughs. You're not, you're not charging for expenses. You're not charging for common area maintenance. In some buildings, you might say, well, they're full service buildings, meaning, you know, this is what you're gonna pay. We're gonna charge you $1,800 a month for 400 square feet, you know, plus sales tax, but you're not paying anything extra. You're not responsible for that. But what he did, which is what a lot of owners do, is they say, you will pay the difference of what they call the year over base you know, uh, expenses. So basically we, we determined this year, here are the total expenses for the building. Let's say that in this case, he was renting the full building, the tenant. Here are, here are the expenses. If my expenses go up by 8%, you're gonna pay that difference. You know, the following year, then that then that becomes a new base. The following year, if that goes up, then you're gonna pay that difference. And so in a way, what the landlord creates is a way for them to, them to say, well, this is my barometer, right? These are my fixed expenses. Anything above this expense, then it's gonna be covered by, by the tenant. And what I, what I liked about the negotiations here is that my client was just about to buy the property, was just buying the property. Mm -hmm. 
he bought the property. We had a tenant, you know, within a month because we had the opportunity to start marketing it before. So now we have this tenant. He's going to lease for five years. He's agreeing to all the terms, but the tenant is aware that the taxes have not adjusted yet, right? Mm -hmm. Until a year later, right? Because they're done in arrears, so you don't, right. you, you're not really going to understand what that base is. So part of the negotiation was, okay, I am agreeing to pay anything over base. However, I, I, I want to make sure that the taxes of that part don't get determined as base until they get adjusted the following year. The following year. And right. so I, I thought that that was a really smart mm -hmm. way of doing it. It was fair. My client was in agreement for that. He's a landlord. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's he's been very, very happy. We also were able to negotiate uh, escalations mm -hmm. uh, on the base rent that were tied to CPI. And, and then inflation went crazy. So my right. client was very happy with that. <laughs> right. The tenant, probably not so much. But. <laughs> well, the tenant did all right. Yeah. Did all right because they rented at a time before, you know, it was yeah, still I, it was still went. higher, but it wasn't as crazy. So it, it were it were it's worked out for both. Good, good. Yeah. So, do you have your fun fact? So, yes. Is there something else you wanted to say? Since no. I hear you about Cam, I think. We no, no, no. I think I think we've covered it. I, I, you know, I just want to reiterate that what's very important here is that. These are the little details in the lease that are imperative that you have a professional go over with you and somebody who's going to give you the right information because, you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, we come across tenants who hire us after the fact when they've already had a negative experience. And part of their negative experience is when expectation doesn't meet reality. Mm -hmm. And the, the dissonance between those two is because when they look at the lease, they're just looking to make sure that the rate is the right rate that they agreed to, that the term is correct, but they're not looking at some of those details that are really the most impactful to their business. All right, so because we're talking about, you know, CAM, CAM, you know, inflationary forces put a lot of pressure on CAM. And we've talked about it in other podcasts where there's only so much that a landlord can charge. Uh, you and I both know operators that decided to forgo the escalation of their base rent because CAM had gone up so much and they were trying to be good partners, right, to their tenants that are there for a long time. Inflation numbers from 2023, you know, just came out uh, about a week ago. And, you know, we're seeing that it certainly feels that the inflation rate is under control. But when you look at the CPI and you look at the inflation rate, you're looking at a, a variety of different categories. And one of the categories is the categories that we're most interested in, which is the shelter category, right? And that is, you know, rent, housing, and we still have uh, an incredible limitation of inventory in the marketplace. So the CPI shelter category still increased in, in November to by 0.5%. So it was up 6.2% from the prior 12 months. Again, not a crazy number as what everybody was expecting to be in the double digits. Uh, and that number or the, the trend of that number or the speed in which it was increasing has slowed down dramatically. It's still, a, it's still an important number to, to take into account that, you know, shelter, CPI shelter category is still uh, moving up. But again, that's something that we've seen historically, right? Because real estate appreciates, you're always gonna have uh, that number be higher than the actual inflation number that is quoted at, you know, which I think is 3.1 or 3.2%.
Very good. Mine is coming to us via Blanca Real Estate and her fourth quarter of 2023 market report for office buildings. And so since I was showing so much in Aventura last week, I wanted to go over the Aventura Class A submarket. And there's a total of nine buildings, nine Class A buildings in Aventura. Inventory total square footage is 1,175,000, let's say. Direct vacancy rate is 17.5%. And weighted average asking rents are $61.21. Wow. So that's, it's almost as high as Brickell's. Uh, no, sorry, it's almost as high as downtowns because Brickell is not around 97 and downtowns around 65. Oh, oh my God. I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Remember when rents were yeah. like 30? Well, that's why, that's why I'm glad we have an office in the suburbs. I know, I know. Well, and Doral. Doral's not cheap anymore either no, with all of the stuff going on in Doral. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying Doral a lot more than I thought I would uh, as an area. Well, they have such good food. They have some yeah. amazing restaurants. But every time I'm there, you don't take me out to lunch. I don't know what's going on. That's why I don't show up as often. Uh, I think the reason we don't go out to lunch is because you're always at your other office. So maybe that's a good thing. If not, we'd spend less time working and more time lunching. So. <clears throat> Again, Thank guys, you, like, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of these uh, podcasts, I'm contractually obligated to agree with her. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead. And I can only disagree once a day as part of my contract. Uh, I needed to negotiate that a little better. Anyhow, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us and pulling up a chair. Appreciate the support. Leave some feedback. Give us, give us some feedback. Let us know uh, what other topics you want us to cover. We have a, a great amount of, uh, of new episodes coming up that I hope you will enjoy. Bye, everybody. 